thought we were worth giving up your life in exchange for ours. And for that, we say thank you. Andrea is right. And you went to Calvary. They stretched you high and wide. And for me, you died. I want to tell you thank you. We've gathered here now in this place because it's preaching time. And we want to worship you with our minds. So would you set us free now from the distractions of this world? Any cares, any faults, any mess-ups or mistakes we've done, would you remove it that we may hear what your spirit has to say. Touch us now from head to toe. Some are sick in the body, but they're present. We say thank you. Sustain us a little while longer, and we'll worship you through it. Stand in me, your preacher, and give me the ability to rightly divide the word of truth so that these, your servants, may be better when they leave here than when they came in. That's my prayer, and I need you today, God. Oh, how I need you. In fact, God, I surrender all. It's my prayer today. I surrender all. My feet are dirty. My hands are dirty. But if you wash me, I'll be made white as snow sinner and my sins are on display but if you forgive me I'll be available for your service so thank you Lord in Jesus name we pray and all God's people said amen and amen if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7 1 Samuel chapter 7 there we are walking exegetically through a wonderful passage of scripture. This is part two of a series that we began last week. I want to thank all of our visitors, first time visitors for being here. I want to welcome you to the New Beginnings Baptist Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church. And that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time, comma by comma, and line by line. Our passage today has us in the Old Testament in the book of Samuel. If you will open your contents page and go right, you'll find it. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 7 is where we begin. If you have it, somebody say, I got it, Pastor. If you don't say, hold on, Reverend. All right. I'm holding on for the one who said, hold on. You standing next to somebody good looking this morning? Amen. Why don't you steal a kiss right now before they change their mind? Mwah, mwah. Amen. So good to come out of a cold world into a loving church. Amen. Amen. First Samuel, let's start at verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts and put away the foreign gods and the Asherahs from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day. And said there that we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. 
Now, when the Philistines had heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with the loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. And then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and he called its name in Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year on the circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, And he judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Amen. Turn to your neighbor this morning and tell him these words. Say, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. This, morning, this morning, my pastor, my pastor. is going to finish this series. He's preaching about, He's preaching about. how to cultivate. The elements of revival. Amen. You may be seated. The elements of revival. For those of you who missed our first lecture on last week, you can go online and find it on our website. It'll make sense to you after today's sermon. When we come to this text today, family, we come reflecting on what God is doing in the life of Israel. On last week, we saw him preparing them for revival and preparing them for renewal. The country had begun to lament because, or rather before God, because of their sins. And now, as today, 20 years has passed between verse 2 and verse 3. And, and, and the, after these 20 years, they have had no more attacks from their enemy. There was kind of a pseudo-peace in the land. However, God was not through with Israel. For you see, he yet desired something more from them. And I believe he desired true worship. An intimate fellowship with them, just like he does with you and I. Today we can see what happened when revival did come. We will examine again today uh, what happens when all the elements of revival have coincided together. And, and they've launched together with repentance. And then we can see how God moves to restore his children. I'm happy to be preaching this text today because the preacher has a major role to play in the revival of God's people. Samuel is used by God to lead the challenge of being restored and renewed. And we can learn today, brothers and sisters, what a leader needs to know about spiritual formation in desperate times when new measures are needed to revive God's children. Y'all going to help me through here? I got a question for you. Is there anybody here this morning 
that feels like you need reviving. You know how sometimes when you journey with God, your life can be get dull. Come on, talk to me. Your worship is no longer spontaneous or contagious. You know, the choir got to sing just one more song. Come on, talk to me. Before you feel like you can get into it. Well, whenever there is an element of revival brewing, there must be the following things in place to ensure that we'll be in the center of God's will. Do you want to know what they are? Number one, there should be a corporate proclamation or call for God's people to do a specific task. Number two, there should be corporate prayer that help God's people to confess their sins. Number three, there will always be the emergence of corporate enemies so God can put his power on display in the midst of revival. I just gave you your four points there up there. Then I'm going to close with dealing with corporate power, corporate proclamation, corporate prayer, corporate power, and then our fourth, third one actually is Corporate problems. Help me today, y'all. I pray I'm struggling this morning. Look at verse 3 with me, corporate proclamation. The text says, Then Samuel, he spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts and put away your foreign gods, and the Asherahs from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Did you see that? Verse 4 says, And so the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherahs, and they served the Lord only. Notice this. Here we see several things happening through Samuel's corporate proclamation. What's happening, Pastor? Through Samuel's proclamation, he's calling for Israel to return back to the Lord. He's calling for them to forsake their old ways and come back to what God has called them to do and to be. He's listed for them all of the ways they are to do this. Number one, they are to return not half-heartedly, but with all of their hearts. And then not only that, they need to put away their foreign gods. Can I turn the light on right here? Israel had adapted a Canaanite style of worship in exchange for the true worship of Yahweh. Somewhere in their journey over the course of the 20 years, they got tired of worshiping God. And they started, Brother Roddy, to worship the gods of the heathens. Baal was said to be the god of fertility. Asherah was the god of a gender. And so what would happen is they started worshiping the gods of the culture and started doing stuff that the culture did. Kind of like Christians who all of a sudden embrace homosexual marriage. That ain't in the Bible. Are you with me here? But when you start to exchange the worship of your God for the worship of the culture, you'll start to do what the culture is doing and get away from what God told you what was true. Samuel in the proclamation hurls or proclaims to them, look, you need to repent. You need to stop. You need to turn and come back to what you know is true. And worship the only true God himself. And then he says, and here's the promise. And then God will deliver you from your enemies. This was some kind of sermon. Samuel was bringing the heat in this message. And it was clear and it was straight to the point. His preaching was on repentance for his people. Why? Because he knew they could not encounter revival without it. Do you know Christians? I'm talking to the Christians now. You can't get back your love for God without repenting for the sins against God. Your love and excitement for God don't just come back because you come to church. It don't just come back because you paid your tithe. 
It don't just come back because you go to Bible study. It comes back because you have decided to stop sinning against him and to return back to him. Not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. Can I say some more? Samuel understands that repentance is necessary for restoration. He understands, Sister Zuna, the daughter, that repentance is necessary for salvation and renewal. If they're going to get back on track with God and get back in step with his will, they have got to have a sermon like this one. Samuel understands what his people's needs are. And so he gives them this word of repentance to help them. To get better. He understands what's necessary in the ministry. And what helps people to change their ways. And their hearts. Samuel understands that they are. uh, Samuel understands that they are spiritually struggling. And in order for them to get back on track. They have got to hear about God's demands. For repentance. I believe this is a good word for us today. New beginnings. Because what we hear today mainly on the airways is sermons about how to make you happy, how to make you feel good, sermons that don't want to offend you, sermons that don't want to turn you, allow you to do you and be happy. Well, I stopped by to tell you, I'm not that kind of pastor. I want to be the kind of pastor for you that helps you to get to know God. And the way you get to know God is by understanding the entirety of God's word, right? How to be restored when you got out of bounds. How to be renewed when you got off track. How to be refocused when your vision got blurred. And how you do that is through repentance. Bump your neighbor and ask him, did you get that? Did you get that? I believe he wants us to repent. To turn our hearts, to put away our foreign idols, to seek and serve him with our whole hearts. Get rid of some relationships. Get rid of some bad habits. Hello, is this thing on? Get rid of some bad relationships. Get rid of some bad habits. Get rid of them horoscopes and them good luck charms and them little guys and that little love for this and that little like for that and that little tolerance of this. Get rid of that stuff and turn back to the one who made you and shaped you and fashioned you into his image so you can be the child of God you desire to be. You might ask the question, Reverend, well, if I do that, what will it look like? Here's what it looks like, daughter. It looks like complete abandonment of those things and those people that took you away from God. It looks like complete abandonment, cutting them off, severing the ties to come back to the one whom you loved. That's what it looks like. Repentance is never 360 degrees. It's always 180 degrees. If I turn all the way around, I'm back where I started. 180 means the other way. And as the young king said, keep it moving. Is there anybody here this morning? Willing to surrender those ideas and those opportunities that you have to rebel against God for your own ghetto fame. Is there anybody here this morning willing to turn away from the distractions and the mindless activities of this world that feed your wicked desires to sin against the holy God? Is there anybody here today willing to repent to turn your heart away from the foreign gods and seek after God with your whole heart? I remember 2011 when those Twin Towers got hit. Man, all of America... Drop their idols 
It was the largest church Sunday in the history of our country. The country repented. But shortly after, went right back to her gods. That's a good picture of what repentance looks like, though. When you let go of those things that you know are in rebellion against God and that God has warned you against, you let them go and you come back to him. That, that's what he's after. And Samuel, in this message, he opens up after 20 years of silence and he preaches to Israel this message, this, this message of proclamation of repentance. Why? Because they had lamented in verse 2 saying that they were sorry for their sins. Now the preacher was able to preach to them because they had ears to hear. Does that make sense? Well, after his corporate proclamation, he goes with corporate prayer. Look at verse 5 with me. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. You see that? So they gathered together at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, we've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Notice this, when we come to this verse, family, we see what happens when the preacher's words are taken to heart. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, his proclamation led to corporate prayer and confession. Corporate prayer is prayer that everybody participates in and agrees with. Did you get that? In other words, in this call to prayer, Samuel asks Israel to do one thing. He says, first, gather everybody together. You should circle that. And then gather them in a specific place. We should take note of this. Why? Because it's strategic for revival. In a strategic revival, everybody should pray. And everybody should be present to pray. And everybody should participate in prayer. You know there's no such thing as corporate revival when everybody ain't corporately involved. Can I say some more? In corporate revival, let's just say New Beginnings decided we want to get revived. We want to get on fire for God, right? Everybody got to be praying. And everybody got to be present. Nobody can miss the meeting and nobody is more significant than the next person. All hands on deck. Are you with me here? And I believe that Samuel understood that if families were going to be restored, everybody had to be present at this prayer meeting. Uh-oh, here I go. I believe that he understood if the men were going to get help to lead the families, then all the men had to be at the prayer meeting. Y'all in here? I believe that he knew if all the women were going to get their stuff together and all the children were going to have their stuff together, the only way they could benefit from the revival is that everybody had to be present at the prayer meeting. So he made a public call for corporate prayer. Watch this. And confession. Now, this is where it gets tricky for some of us who don't want nobody to hear your faults. That this meeting was going to affect everything that they was going to ever do as a people in the future. This prayer meeting was going to supernaturally fix what they couldn't fix in their own flesh. Y'all in here? This prayer meeting was going to supernaturally take care of their enemies that they couldn't take care of on their own. This prayer meeting was going to change some things. And Samuel knew that, that this had to happen in order for them to change and to come back to be the people that God wanted them to be. Now, I asked myself a question in the study. I'm losing some of y'all. Y'all sleeping already. Let me hurry up. How did Samuel believe like this in prayer and the Holy Spirit shook me and said he learned it from his mama Hannah see he was a miracle baby remember Hannah couldn't have babies but she cried out to the Lord and God gave her Samuel 
Come on in here with me. And for the next several years of his life, she would wean him, yes, in prayer. Then she brought her baby to the temple and gave him to Eli, the priest, as a gift back to God. So Samuel had to learn the secrets of prayer from mama. Secondly, we can learn that as a leader, he would take the initiative to talk to God on their behalf. So though there's been 20 years of waiting, Samuel has been in Rama the whole time praying. Can I say some more? Notice what he says. He says, after you get everyone together, I'm going to pray to the Lord. Uh-uh, y'all missed it right there. He said, I'm going to talk to the Lord for y'all. In other words, when he makes this statement and request, he makes it, he makes it Mason with boldness and assurance. In other words, he's saying that if God is going to do some drastic on the behalf of this people, he, he's waiting for me to talk to him about it. Samuel makes this statement that if, as if he's got the ear of God. And that as if God is waiting for him. As if God, as if he has an audience with the king of the universe. I like to talk to people like this. They know, Bruce, that God hears them when they pray and they've got a confidence. It's almost an arrogant confidence, but I like that. They've got assurance that God is going to hear me when I talk to him. I wrote myself a note. He throwing down his answered prayer card. He's got a card of, of every time God has answered prayer as evidence. That I can talk to the Lord and he hears me. Somebody in here ain't got a card at all. You ain't sure that God even hear you. That's why you always run into somebody else. Can you pray for me? But some of you know the Lord. You can throw down your card because you use it every day. Come on, talk to me. You talk with him in the morning. You talk with him at noon. You talk with him in the evening. You talk with him in the car. You talk with him in the gym. You talk with him in Bible study. You talk with him on Sunday morning. You can, you're a card-carrying answer prayer person. Can I, say, can I say some more? Samuel, as the man of God, could say this because he had a relationship with God. Look, he wasn't disconnected like Israel was disconnected. And when you disconnected, sometimes you need somebody to go on your behalf. You need somebody to preach to you and then to call you back to what you know you ought to be doing. Some of y'all, I missed it already. Well, let me just say it like I feel it and get on out the way. Samuel, the man of God, could say this because he had assurance that God hears him when he prays. Listen, you are a poor preacher if you ain't got assurance of your prayers. I might not be sure what I'm going to eat tonight, but I'm sure this one thing. When I call his name, he hears me. Are you listening in here? Samuel had a certain confidence that exuded his years, his trust in God, that he could tell people who were struggling with their relationship with God how to get it right. I stopped by to tell you today that God is waiting on you, somebody. He waiting on you to renew, to return, to restore your relationship with him. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, the Bible says, I'm still on corporate prayer. The Bible says that they gathered. Y'all see that? And they gathered together at Mizpah. In other words, they listened to their pastor. Ah, that's worth you coming today. They listened to the man of God. Why? Because God had put the man of God in their life to fix the situations of their life. But they had a choice. They could go back to life as usual, still struggling with the Philistines, still struggling with themselves, or they could listen to the word of God. 
Samuel says, here's what you got to do. You got to repent. You got to return. Then you got to call everybody. All of y'all get your children, get your men, get your women, and meet with me in Mizpah because I'm getting ready to pray for y'all. And they all gathered together. You see that right there? Now watch this. This is interesting. The text says they drew some water and they poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted. Look at this, guys. This is interesting. Because Samuel doesn't give these instructions. The people automatically grab hold of this ritual. Can I explain it? There was a ritual that the Hebrews used whenever they were serious about turning their lives back to God. And the ritual was to pour out water in honor of the request of God. In other words, it was a visible sign to say that they were truly repentant and they were turning back to God. It was a sign of them emptying themselves from the transgressions they made against God. Y'all in here? And not only did they empty themselves, but they pushed back from the table. They said, we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink until God revives us. <laughs> oh. See, when you really get serious about returning back to God, you got some rituals you'll do. Can I come down your wall? You will pull out your Remy Martin. You will pull out that last sack of weed. I know I'm talking to you. Don't act like I ain't talking to you. You will pull out that 40 ounce. You will empty that little box of that stash. You'll get rid of your rubbers because you can't use them no more. You will empty yourself. Or like they say in the hood, you'll break yourself. Because you got a new mission. And the old stuff you can't use on the new mission. Am I talking to you? You know what else they do here? Then they say, we're not going to eat no more. We, we're going to break fellowship. We're not, we're not, we're not finna let anything else distract us. We're going to give up our minds, our bodies, and our hearts totally to God until he revives us. That's fasting. It ain't some of this stuff we do. We say, oh, Pastor, I'm fasting from Facebook. You need to get off of it anyway. I'm fasting from Instagram. I'm fasting from... You ain't fasting. You ain't serious. You ain't broke yourself. Fasting is breaking yourself so you can live totally unto God in order to hear from God, to receive from God instructions on what God is asking you to do. Some of y'all play fasting. You play fasting. Amen. Israel, something was happening in this text. And here we can learn, family, how beautiful it is to see a family get together and prayer is about to go down. Look, they ain't gathering for no drama. They're gathering because prayer is about to go down. They ain't gathering because, you know, a famous rock star musician has come to town. They're gathering because prayer is about to go down. Y'all missed it. Can I say some more? They, they ain't gathering because no, no, no grand new preacher with some new ideas is coming to town. They gathering because Samuel said it's time to pray. They walked away from their jobs that day. The stuff they had going on in the community, the neighborhood, their games. And they assembled in one place to pray and to seek God's face. Here we can learn that when all of the family gets together in the place of prayer, that you can expect God to, to move on their behalf. Guess what? They're coming. They're coming, daughter. They're coming, but they're coming with an expectation for God to pray. Can I stick a pin right there? Can, come on, can I stick a pin right there? When you pray, do you have an expectation for God to move? Or are you just kind of guessing and hoping 
You might as well get up. Prayer is designed so you can enter into that war room. Ah, there it is. With an expectancy for God to do something on your behalf. When I was little and all my kids, they used to come to me. They, they didn't come to me um, uh, not expecting for daddy to answer their request. They came because they knew I had it. Y'all missed it. They would come to me and say, Daddy, can I have $5? They knew I had it. My question is, what you need it for? I want to go do, here's $10. God the Father is the exact same way. He already know that you're coming to ask him. He want to know that you know why you're asking for But when I notice when my kids sometimes every now and then they get you know a little lukewarm about the request. Daddy, can I? Ah, uh, that's okay. No, what you want? No, that's okay. No, what you need? Son, come here. What do you want? No, no never mind. They have the unexpected expectancy that I can't do it or that maybe they shouldn't ask for it, so they walk away. And that's how you do a lot of y'all in prayer. I know I'm on your street, so I might as well mash on the gas. You know how you can want God to do that thing in your life, but you somehow be feeling like, man, maybe I'm not worthy, so I shouldn't even ask for it. Let me help you. You ain't never worthy to ask God or nothing, so you might as well ask for it. He don't bless you because you're worthy. He bless you because you're his. Ain't nobody in here worthy of God doing anything. And if you think you're worthy, you better check yourself. The only reason why he does anything for you is because you're his. And he loves you. And he's got a wonderful plan for your life. Ain't got nothing to do with you being worthy. In fact, if you want to talk about worthy and getting what you deserve, hell would be your home. You ought to be glad he don't give you what you deserve. Shake somebody and tell them, I'm glad, I'm glad, man. I'm, I'm glad. Lord, no, I'm glad. Amen. Notice this. They come together. They come together. They pour out their stuff. They pour out water symbolically. They fast. And then look what they say in the second part of that verse. They say that we, somebody say we. We, we have sinned. Ah, uh, you should circle that. Ain't nobody pointing to somebody else because of their sins. Lord, they sin. That group right there. Them, you, them, Lord, them. They said, no, Lord, we, we sin. We have been against you. In other words, everybody's confessing their sins, Aaron. Everybody's confessing, Alex, that they misbehave toward God. Everybody is owning up to their own sins. Everybody is declaring what their wicked hearts have done. And everybody is willing to confess until there are none among them that have not made known their sins before God. That's true confession at a prayer meeting. Where it starts on one side of the room and it just rolls. And everybody is confessing what they've done before God. Not what somebody else has done. Can I tell you that one of the elements for a revival is not only a need for corporate proclamation and corporate prayer, but in corporate prayer, confession of sins. That's how revival comes, with you confessing your sins. I want to be a part of a church like this. Andrew, I want to be a part of a church that practices corporate confession. I want to be a part of a church family that knows when I don't confess, I hold revival back from everybody. I, I want to be a part of a church family, Mason, that knows how to talk to God and is willing to keep short accounts on their sins. I want to be a part of a ministry that sees the importance of confessing their sins so God can be free to work in our midst. 
Could you be the one holding back corporate revival? Are you the one keeping us from experiencing the graciousness of God? Some of us are confessing our sins, and some of y'all act like you ain't did nothing. But the truth is, if you're breathing and you're in this room, you're guilty of something. The judge ain't got you. As they say in hood, the popo ain't got you. Mama ain't got you. But God got you on radar. He was there the whole time. And if you were a child of God, you did your crime with God present. But you hold back revival for some of us. Because you don't want to confess your sin. Stubborn. Reminds me of a kid I used to watch in the boot camp in Kings County. One time we had something out in the day room and one of them stole it. And so we called all the boot camp kids together and had them in the day room, Brother Dixon. And I went to punishing them. Calisthenics until they just dropping and puking all over the place. And we got the one who did it on video. I just want to see if you're going to come clean and spare your family. He denying it all the way to the end. You know what happens in that? You have to go to his locker and pull it out of his locker and show everybody. Now he really in trouble. He can't walk the yard no more. Because he done got everybody in trouble. Well, that's just like somebody in here today. Some of us been waiting on God to do something in our lives. We are corporately ready, but we got a thief among us. Somebody holding back the benefit blessings of God because you don't want to get your stuff right. I got Bible for my theology. It happened before in the Old Testament. Can I tell you the story real quick? Joshua and them got ready to go to war. God told them now when you go in the enemy's camp, kill everything and don't you take nothing. But there was a man in the congregation named Achan who couldn't refuse coming up. Saw some of the enemies bling. Come on, talk to me. It's just a little bling. He ain't going to miss and took it. Brought it back to his tent and tried to hide it. Are you with me here? And then God came through the camp, or rather let the enemy, through the midst of the fight, rise up. And Joshua and them lost the battle. And they was wondering, how come we lost this fight? God gave us this victory. And God said, why are you crying to me in prayer? There's a thief among you. And they did what I told you to tell them not to do. Now go on and find him. And they went through every family and traced the lineage. And y'all know the little story. Achan got found out. But you know what I like about this text? Y'all gonna get mad right there. But God gave Joshua permission to kill Achan and his family to set an example for Israel about God's obedience to his word. Am I making sense here? See, it is possible for one or two members to affect the congregational life of the whole congregation. And sometimes we got to cut out the disease. Interesting that that story this is the same group of his people, Israel. Later on, they're down the line now. This is not the context where they have to do that because everybody's willing to confess. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's on one accord, and they're ready for God to move. And that's the beautiful picture that we have here. I like this because as what Samuel does is Samuel then, he gets ready to pray a powerful prayer on their behalf. Now, let's go with me to point number three, corporate problems. 
The text says, now, when the Philistines, verse 7, y'all in here? When the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, they were on one accord, they were getting ready to pray, the Philistines went up against Israel. Y'all see that? And when the children of Israel heard it, they became afraid of the Philistines, verse 8. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, here they go, Samuel, don't stop praying for us. Cry out to the Lord that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. I see something very powerful in this text. After Samuel proclaims God's word, after he prays God's word, problems come. Y'all in here? In other words, we discover in this text that while Samuel is praying, the enemy starts moving. Come on, stay with me just right through here. I promise you it'll be good for you. When, when the Philistines hear that Israel has a symbol, the enemy starts to gather and to move. This, this enemy, the Philistines, have been victorious over them for 20 years. They captured their cities. They had killed their husbands and fathers. They had raped and pillaged their daughters. They dominated their lives. And they thought that Israel was doing something that they ought not be doing. And so as Israel is moving into God's will, the enemy starts to move against them. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that the enemy starts to move against you when you start to get aligned with God. I'm trying to help somebody here this morning. If you decide today I'm going to put my life back on track with God, you can believe the enemy going to move in strategic position to try to attack and discourage you. Whenever God's people align themselves with God, the enemy gets nervous. And he tries to flex against us, BJ, to keep us in bondage and in fear of him. However, when we assemble and when we do it on one accord and when we confess our sins before God and declare our ways to be wicked before God and submit our souls back to God for his command, something supernatural happens. It's almost as if Satan was watching the whole time. Samuel move and gather God's people and he started to whisper in the ear of the lords of the Philistines. And so they're rallying now and uh, positioning themselves for battle against Israel. I wrote myself a note here, brothers and sisters. There must always be corporate problems when you get in the center of God's will. Don't just think the enemy going to let you <coughs> get your life on track. Can I say that again? He just ain't going to let you get easy out of that, that relationship. He going to put up a battle and a fight when you try now to get sober. You ain't been sober in 20 years. Why you want to do it now? Right? This text is teaching us, yeah, yeah, it's teaching us that revival brings satanic opposition. But have no fear. Because if God is reviving you, God is going to take care of the enemy who's trying to attack you. I like this in the text because the Bible says that the children of Israel cry out to Samuel, Samuel, pastor, don't stop praying for us. Pray that God would deliver us from the hand of the Philistines. They finally recognize that prayer changes things. They finally recognize, Mason, that Yahweh is more powerful than the Philistines. They recognize that the enemy has got to bow down to their God. They recognize that they've got an answer to their problem. And they recognize that God can fix their trouble. And he can fight for them if he wants to. Pastor, don't stop praying for me. I wrote myself a note here. If the church ever understood who God really is, she would cry out to him for the answers that attack the enemies of their lives. If the church only understood the answer to attack the enemy, yeah, I think she sleep a little better at night. 
if the Christian only understood that God is in control, that they would never have to fret over how the enemy is positioning themselves. Is there anybody here today that knows that God has all power of heaven and earth in his hands? Anybody here believe that God can handle anything you're going through? Come on, talk to me, y'all. Anybody here know that the devil ain't no match for God? Anybody know that the devil is God's devil? Y'all didn't hear me. I said God created him. He didn't create nothing. Anybody here know that God can whoop any man? Then why are you afraid of him? Let me give you my last point, corporate power. Verse number nine, they're crying out. In, the enemy is positioning themselves to attack. In verse nine, the text says, and Samuel... He took a suckling lamb. That's a little lamb that was still nursing on the mama. And he offered it as a burnt offering. Now, y'all know that's a picture, right? Anytime you see the, the sacrificial offerings in the Old Testament, you know that's a picture of the Lamb of God who was to come in the New Testament. Come on, stay with me in here. He takes the lamb, he offers the lamb up in the midst of the enemy's attack. Y'all with me here? Then the Bible says that Samuel cried out to the Lord. And here's the good news. And the Lord answered him. <laughs> ah, thank you, Lord. <clears throat> As the enemy was moving <clears throat> and the people was praying and Samuel's making sacrifice. The Bible says, then the Lord heard his prayer. In other words, I like this, Brother Corley, because it's evidence that God hears prayers. He hears prayers, watch this now, that are covered in sacrifice. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? He listens to the voice that has been sacrificially covered with a sin offering. Oh, come on, y'all. Come on. Okay, let me say it again. Samuel offers the offering. It's the sin offering for the sins of Israel. He sheds the blood of the lamb on the altar. After the blood is shed, God hears the prayer. Okay, all right. So Jesus on the cross is your high priest. He's your Samuel. He's also your lamb. When he gives up his blood, God hears our prayer. Oh, y'all making me work for every amen today. Let me get on out of here. I like this. I like this, daughter. Listen, here's why I like this. I like this because as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines are drawing near against battle, for battle. But look what the text says. The Lord, but, it says but, circle that. That means it's a conjunction, right? There's a change in direction in the sentence. They're moving against them while the sacrifice has been made on their behalf. But the Lord. Ain't going to let the enemy prevail. First time we ever see this in the scripture. The Bible says that the Lord thundered against them. Don't, look, don't make it up what? It's in the text. He thundered upon the Philistines and so confused them that they were overcome by Israel. Look at this. I'm glad. I wrote myself a note. Brother Carlos. I said, I'm glad to tell you. That some stuff still only happens when you pray. As he's offering up the sacrifice, God, boom! Thundered him. He thundered him. He thundered him. Y'all catch me? He didn't strike them. He didn't send plagues. He didn't send the wind. He didn't cause the mountains to skip. 
He didn't shake the earth. He didn't send locusts, flies, gnats, frogs, or lice. He thundered them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't even know thunder was a weapon, did you? You didn't know thunder can whip a man, did you? You didn't know thunder could defeat an army, shake a nation, make a bully run. But God's got some weapons you ain't never seen before. You don't even know what thunder look like. You don't know what it smell like. You don't see it coming, but you know when it's been there. Come on, talk to me. God's got weapons to make your enemies behave, but he's only going to answer your prayer that's been covered in his sacrifice. Can I, can I turn the light on right here? Zuniga, thunder not only made the Philistines run, it made the Israelites run too. What do you mean, pastor? Yeah, the Philistines ran that way and the Israelites chased them. In other words, thunder gave them courage. Thunder gave them attitude. Thunder gave them a little something, something in their step. And when they saw the enemy run, they knew that God was on their side. And what they decided to do was run that fool down. And take back everything that the enemy had took from them. I wish I had a believer in here that know God is still on my side. Whatever you lost by the hand of the enemy, God is able to give it back to you. Come on, talk to me. But it don't come without revival. Yeah. Help me, Holy Ghost. Just a little while. I noticed the same thing that defeated the Philistines was the same thing that encouraged God's people. The same weapon that brought them victory brought them zeal. The same weapon that, that led them, helped them, yeah, to remember just how powerful God is. Well, I got to leave you now. And I'm leaving because I can see my exit. Oh yeah. See, a few thousand years later, humanity was in a similar predicament. Sin as the enemy of mankind had man on the ropes and sin had caused man yeah to live in a bad relationship with God man was doomed because of his sins and on his way to a burning hell Satan and sin had man yeah all sold up but Jesus, the Samuel in the Gospels, took it upon himself to come down through 40 and two generations. Oh, yes, and part of his ministry here on earth was proclaiming for man to repent. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm. And not only did he call men to repent, but he called men to pray. And after calling men to pray, he assembled himself on the side of a mountain. And out on the mountain, he became the sacrifice for us. And as he was on Calvary's hill, he, yes, he prayed as the high priest. He said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. And out on the cross, he gave his hands to the nails. Out on the cross, gave his head to the thorns. Out on the cross, gave his side to the spear. 
And out of his body came blood for the remission of sins. All I'm trying to say is he died. Didn't he die? He died. Didn't he die? And I'm glad today he offered up himself because when he died, he was the perfect sacrifice to cover our sin. I'm closed now, but when he died, the Bible says that the earth shook like a drunken man. The Bible says that graves came open, yes, in the cemetery. The Bible says he descended into hell, took the sting out of the grave, took victory over the devil, and early, 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 Sunday morning, he got up with all power. Didn't he do it? He had power over the devil. He had power over sin. He had power over the world. He had power over salvation. He had power to restore mankind. He had power to renew the mind. He had power, wonder-working power. And I'm glad today he still thunders from on high. Yes, he did. He's thundering now in Africa. He's thundering now in Asia. He's thundering now in Australia. He's thundering now in South America. He's thundering now in Europe. You say, what's this thunder? It's the proclamation of the word. Hear ye the word of the Lord. If any man come unto me, I'll give him rest. Hear ye the word of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall, you shall, you shall be saved. It's thundering now. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have, they'll have, they'll have everlasting life. It's thundering now. Can't you hear the thunder? Yeah, I can hear the thunder. I hear him say, come on to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon ye and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. I can hear the thunder saying, preach Wilson until I come. Preach Wilson until you get your side. Preach until the fire fall. Preach until we get revived. Pray until you feel like praying. Pray until you see movement in the pews. Pray until the husband come back home. Pray until the woman gets some act right. Pray till the kid get out of jail. Pray till the finances get right. Pray till cancer has to quit. Pray until the demon leaves. Pray, pray, pray. Is there anybody here? Knows prayer changes things. Can I get a witness? Can I get some help in this house? Can you shake somebody's hand? Tell them neighbor, 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 pray with me until my change come shake somebody else's hand tell them neighbor preach until they turn around yeah yeah 
Oh God, yeah. I'm closing now, but my help is finally here. Listen, I got to leave you. Adios, a river dirty, but I think I'll preach until my Savior come. I'm going to preach through every trial and tribulation. I'm going to preach when I feel like it and when I don't feel like it. I'm going to preach until preaching leaves my body. I've got one thing left to do, and that's preach. Preach and preach. I ain't going to make it up. I'm a. And as I look it up, I'm going to sigh. What the Lord told me to say, ain't God alright? Ain't God alright? make a difference have you been impacted by preaching won't you high five somebody tell them preaching help me <laughs> say preaching help me yeah 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 I know he's alright I know he's alright Corley, I, I, I know he's all right. I tried Jesus, and he's been good. Have you tried him? Have you tried him? The old Pentecostal church would sing a song. Yeah, no, they would say, they would say, have you tried my Jesus? Have you tried my Jesus? Have you tried?